0: Well, hey, good morning, Two Cities Church. Like Kyle said, my name is Josh Miller, and I feel like I need to be really energetic now, you know, because he just said I've got all this energy. Uh, But man, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm the lead pastor of Center Church up in Charlottesville, Virginia. And it's just really fun because in God's kind of providence, we have this back and forth between our churches. So I've already seen maybe four or five of you that used to be a part of our church that are now a part of this church down here. And there are now several couples a part of our church up there that used to be a part of this church down here. Uh, In fact, a couple of weeks ago, one of those couples came up to me after the service and said, Josh, you talk fast, you don't talk as fast as Kyle does. And uh, I didn't know if that was supposed to be a compliment or a challenge, you know, and I was like, which, uh, which way that we'll, we'll walk through this. But man, uh, I've been married to my sweet wife, Meredith, for 12 and a half years. We have four kids, ages 10, down to two and a half. So when Kyle uh, called me up and said, hey, we want to bring you down for two nights so that you and your wife can have a weekend away, guys, I'm gonna be honest with you, I didn't pray about it, okay? I didn't. It was so obviously the will of the Lord that I just said, man, we would love to do that. And uh, so we've been kind of doing the tourist thing this weekend. So we went over and saw the Rinalda house, which was really neat and kind of learned more about the history of the city. We walked around uh, Wake Forest campus. We've eaten at some really great restaurants, but I'm gonna be totally honest with you. The highlight of the weekend was Hobby Lobby, okay? It was the absolute (laughs) highlight of the week. Weekend. We walked around there with no kids and a budget. Uh, and you, gosh, you know you're in your mid-30s when Hobby Lobby is the highlight of your weekend away. Uh, but man, we had a, we had a great time. Uh, well, speaking of my family, this past fall, we had the hardest time, just the hardest time getting our daughter's soccer jersey. You ever been there? So man, we just wanted our daughter to have the same jersey as everybody else. We didn't want her to have to show up on Saturday morning and she's wearing like a gray Nike shirt and everybody else is in orange. So we're trying to get this, this soccer jersey. And at first, to say, hey, we're so sorry. We don't have enough. And so your daughter doesn't have one right now, but we're working on getting replacements. So we're like, okay. And then they email us and they say, hey, we got the replacements in, but you know how it is. They give you these ridiculous times. You can come and pick up the jersey. Like you can pick it up between three and 3.30 in the morning, you know? And it's like, I've got four kids. Like that's, that's not going to work. And so, you know, we're emailing the soccer league. We're trying to just get this jersey figured out and they're not responding. They're not getting back to us. And it's like Thursday. It's Thursday. The game is on Saturday. And we're like, we just, we got to make something happen. And so my wife, Is like, that's it. I'm driving over to the soccer headquarters. Like, I'm just going to drive over there and see if I can get this thing uh, figured out. And so she's on her way to the soccer warehouse and she's praying. She's literally praying, God, I need you to open a door for me. Like, I I need you to give me favor with this soccer league. We just want our daughter to have a jersey. Well, she gets to the soccer headquarters and it's this huge warehouse, this huge field house, and it does not look promising, guys. I mean, the parking lot is empty, okay? The lights are all off. It's like, oh, this is not going to go well. And so Meredith goes up. pulls on the front door and it's locked. And it's like, ah, like we're not going to get this jersey. So she's walking back to the car and she notices a side door, like obviously not a door you're supposed to use, right? Like there's no windows in it. It's like made out of steel, but she's like, I'm already here. I might as well try. And so she goes up and sure enough, the side door is unlocked. Okay. So she opens the door and she looks in, it's this giant, ominous, empty, dark building. And she's like, we're sending it. Okay. So she goes and gets our four kids out of the van. Okay. And goes like Jason Bourne style into this, this warehouse she's like sneaking around and my wife's amazing so she manages to find the equipment closet in this giant facility she gets into the equipment closet she finds my daughter's age group then within the age group she finds my daughter's team in my daughter's team she finds my daughter's jersey she grabs it and she gets out of dodge let's go round of applause for my wife the whole time my kids are freaking out and they're like mom you're gonna get arrested and so she, she called me after this because it was such a significant thing. And she tells me about it. And I thought to myself, I think that's the first time I've ever heard of someone praying for an open door and getting one literally, you know, like an actual physical door that was unlocked. And I, I tell you that story because our text today is all about open doors, not literal ones, but spiritual ones. You see, in the Bible, an open door is a kingdom opportunity. It represents gospel potential that Jesus wants you to realize. You see, in our text today, Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I have opened a door for you in your city. There is kingdom work that that I've prepared for you and I want you to walk in it. And I believe that no matter where you're coming from this morning, that Jesus has an open door for you, that he has gospel potential that he's prepared in your life that he wants you to walk through as well. And guys, this is significant because what we do with the open doors in our lives determine the trajectory of our lives, our families, and this church. Jesus has given us opportunities. He's presented them in front of us and he wants us to walk through them to see the kingdom of God advance. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through this text. I'm just gonna draw out three principles for identifying and walking through the open doors that Jesus has provided in your life. All right, look at verse seven with me. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, So I know as a church, you've been walking through these seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven different churches in the book of Revelation. And Pastor Kyle has done a great job explaining the context of each of these churches. So what do we know about the the city of Philadelphia? Well, the city of Philadelphia wasn't the biggest city in the book of Revelation, but it was the best situated city. You see, it was located along a very important Roman road and as a result was a hub of both education and commerce. And as I thought about the Church of Philadelphia and as I visited Winston this weekend, I thought, man, Philadelphia reminds me a lot of Winston. Winston isn't the biggest city in North Carolina, but you're probably the best situated. I mean, you're right next to I-40, right? Which is a, just a major thoroughfare for the entire state. You're a, a center of education. You're a center of commerce. Ideas and influence and power and money flow through this city. And so whatever Jesus said to Philadelphia then, I think it's gonna be relevant, man, So, to Winston-Salem today. Look back at verse seven. He says, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. In each letter, Jesus introduces himself in a way that is relevant to the people that he's speaking to. You see, every attribute of Jesus is significant. Every attribute of Jesus matters, but certain attributes of Jesus resonate with us more in some seasons than others, don't they? So maybe last night you went back to that website that you said you weren't gonna go back to. And what you need to remember about Jesus today is that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Maybe on Friday, I man, you got a pink slip at work and you're looking into the future and you don't know how you're gonna provide for your needs. You don't know how you're gonna take care of your family. You're, you're looking into the future and it looks really uncertain and it looks really scary. And you need to remember that Jesus is the great provider for his people who said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Or maybe you're a Carolina Panthers fan and you need to remember that Jesus works miracles (laughs) and he can raise the dead to life. (laughs) I'm a commander's fan, so I could say that, okay? Right, every attribute of Jesus is significant, but some attributes resonate more in some seasons than others. So what are the attributes that he focuses on in this text? Well, first he says that he's the holy one. That means that he's set apart that he's distinct, that there is no one else in all of creation like your Lord, that he is unique in every way. Then he says, he's the true one. That means everything that Jesus says is true, that you can take it to the bank, that as we just saying, he is a firm foundation that will never fail. And then he said a third thing, and this is what I want, to, want us to focus on. He said, I'm the one with the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens kind of an interesting reference. What does that mean? Well, it's actually a reference to King David in the Old Testament. You see, as king, David possessed a set of keys that were exclusive to him that opened special doors in the kingdom. So there were literally doors in the kingdom that only David could open. Maybe think of it like uh, your phone, you know, if you're, you're an iPhone person, you know, you've got the facial ID and you've got the passcode, or, you know, if you're a Samsung person, you draw that weird shape on the, on the screen, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're the only person that can get into your phone because you have the passcode, you have the key. Well, in, in a similar way, there are doors in your life, there are spiritual opportunities in your life, which only Jesus can open. And if Jesus opens it, no one can shut it. Now, this was very, very relevant for the church in Philadelphia, and here's why. Following Jesus had led to some closed doors. By following Jesus, the believers in Philadelphia couldn't do business, participate in government, or network like everyone else in the city because they wouldn't hail Caesar as Lord. They wouldn't say, Caesar is Lord. They said, no, only Christ is Lord. And that meant doors got slammed in their face. Slam, slam, slam. Opportunities that their friends had, that their peers had, they didn't have. And if you are going to follow Jesus, increasingly in our culture today, you are going to have doors slammed in your face. You might get passed over for a promotion. You might be ostracized by your family. You might be excluded from a friend group. I have a member in my church who came to faith in Christ at our church and he's grown a ton. He's in wealth management. and I had lunch with him a few weeks ago and he said, Josh, I'm public with my faith at work. I'm not obnoxious, but I'm, I'm public about the most important things to me and it's cost me business. You see, sometimes following Jesus has a dollar sign on it. Following Jesus will lead to some doors being slammed in your face. It did for the believers in Philadelphia. Increasingly it will for us today. And when that happens, it is so comforting to know that our Lord is in charge of the doors that matter the most. That Jesus Christ is the one that opens the most important doors in our lives. And if he opens that door, no one can shut it. Verse eight, he says, I know your works. That's not just what you do. That's your whole life. That phrase refers to kind of everything that's going on. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Jesus said, I know your works. What a comforting statement that is, that that the same God who hung the Milky Way in the sky knows the number of hairs on your head, knows the amount of tears that you've cried, knows the relationships that are a challenge for you right now, knows the things that keep you up at night. You know, agnosticism says there might be a God you can't know for sure, and you definitely can't have a personal relationship with him. Deism says, God is kind of like a, kind of like a clockmaker who set this world up, but then stepped away and is no longer interested in what you've got going on. Secularism says, well, there is no God. You're, you're a product of random chance. And, and the reason that you feel alone is because you are alone. But the Bible comes along with the most incredible notes that God almighty, the maker of heaven and earth created you, knows you and cares about you. I know your works, not just generally, but particularly I know what kept you up last night. I know what is on your mind right now. I know your works. I'm not some distant cold judge, but I'm an engaged, loving father. So what did Jesus know about this church in Philadelphia? We'll look back at verse eight. I know that you have but little power. So that means they didn't have a whole lot of worldly strength and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So what did Jesus know? Well, Jesus knew their faithfulness. He knew that they hadn't given up and that they hadn't given in. They had kept his word. They had not denied his name. Jesus knew their struggles. He knew that they had been kicked out of the synagogue by this group that Jesus called the synagogue of Satan. Man, a a group of people who were saying that they were worshipers of God, but actually weren't, and were going around town slandering the Christians and spreading rumors about them. Jesus also knew what they needed. Do you see what he says? He said, I'm going to make your enemies bow down at your feet. I'm going to vindicate you in the eyes of those who have slandered you. And I'm going to sustain you in the hour of trial that is coming on the world. So Jesus told the church in Philadelphia, I know. I know your faithfulness. I know your opposition. I know what you need. And if that's all that he said, this would be a text about the comforting presence of God in the midst of tribulation. But that's not all that he said. That's only half of the conversation. Do you see what he said next? He says, I know your works, behold, and that word means don't miss this. That word means, hey, if you're asleep, hello, wake up, welcome back. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now in the Bible, the phrase open door refers either to personal salvation, like in John chapter 10, verse nine, or to a kingdom opportunity like in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12. Since the people in the church of Philadelphia were already believers, were already Christians, we can assume that Jesus is referring to a kingdom opportunity. Jesus told the church, I know what you're going through. I know things have been hard and I have work for you to do. This is really important. He comforted the church and he commissioned the church. He said, I know your situation. I know things are challenging. I still have a hill for you to take. I still have a job for you to accomplish. I have a dragon for you to slay. I have a mission for you to pursue. Guys, this is really important. If we only have half of the conversation, we get in trouble. If we're all commissioned with no comfort, we will burn out. But if we're all comfort with no commission, we will not play the part in the gospel story that God created us to play. God has created you to play a special role in his story. And if you don't play it, no one can. Ephesians 2 chapter 10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That means if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, that in eternity past, God prepared good works, open doors, kingdom opportunities for you to walk through. Not me, not her, not the church generally, you. And if you walk through them, the kingdom will move forward. And if you don't, it will not. What you do with those kingdom opportunities, what you do with those open doors will have a major impact on the trajectory of your life and the spiritual legacy that you leave. And so what I want to do is I want to walk back through this text and just draw out three principles that will help us identify and walk through open doors. Here's number one. One open door leads to another. One open door leads to another. In this section of Revelation, there are seven churches There's only two of those churches that Jesus has nothing negative to say about. And Philadelphia is one of those churches. They were a good church. They had kept Jesus's word. They had not denied his name. They had been faithful. So Jesus entrusted them with more. Here's a biblical principle. He who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much. The more doors you walk through, the more doors you get. The more doors you walk through, the more doors you get. God gives big kingdom opportunities to those who are good stewards of small ones. So if you're here and you want to make an impact for the kingdom of God, if you want your neighborhood to be different because you live there, if you want to be a new link in generational faithfulness in your family, start by walking through the open door that's currently in front of you. Walk through the open door that's currently in front of you. Here's what that means practically. Don't be afraid to dream small. Is that what you thought I was going to say, is it? I mean, every motivational speaker, every self-help book is like, dream big. But can we be honest? You're not ready for your big dreams. I'm not ready for my big dreams. We would probably hurt ourselves and other people, wouldn't we? (laughs) Here's what sociologists have found. The sweet spot for personal growth and personal fulfillment is when you are operating at 102% of your personal competence. Now, how you discover what 102%, uh, I don't know how you do that, but that's what they say, that if you're more than that, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're probably going to hurt people. If you're less than that, you're going to get bored. But the sweet spot is 102% of your personal competence. And here's why I tell you that. Your next open door is probably at just about 102% of your personal competence. It's enough to make you sweat. It's enough to give you kind of butterflies in your stomach. Man, it's gonna drive you to your knees in prayer. It's gonna require risky faith, but it's not utterly overwhelming. It's not gonna hurt you or other people. I hope you have big kingdom dreams, I do but realize that your big dream is on the other side of five or six open doors. I wanna be a man of integrity, a man who leads my family well. I want my grandkids and great grandkids to point back at me and say, that is the spiritual rock of our lineage. Man, and our family is what it is today because of my granddad and my great granddad. That's what I want. Maybe that's what you want. Do you know how that starts? Apologize to your wife this afternoon. Say, I'm sorry for being selfish. I'm sorry for not being attentive. I'm sorry for not being engaged with the kids. That's how you get there. Or how about this one? Our society is going to hell in a handbasket. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I want to see our culture return to Christ. Amen. Do you know where the future of our country is? Down the hall in the middle school ministry. You want to change the future? Go invest in a seventh grader. Or how about this, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I'm gonna gonna go overseas and start Christ-centered medical clinics so that I bring not just spiritual healing, but physical healing to the nations of the earth. Amen. Have you ever been on a mission trip? The first step to that future is taking seven days of PTO this year and going overseas on a short-term trip. We tend to be good at dreaming big dreams. We tend to be bad at small steps of obedience. But you don't get to the big dream until you walk through the door that's in front of you. I know a couple who, when they got married, were passionate about prioritizing their marriage. And, and they had this burden because they didn't feel like young people were doing that. And so they, they talked about starting a ministry where, where they would inspire other couples to invest in their marriage. And they had a name for this ministry. They even bought a URL for this ministry. I mean, they were gonna do it. And that couple is divorced today. You see, they had a big kingdom dream but they didn't walk through the door that was right in front of them to invest in their own marriage. Here's what this means. The spiritual influence we end up possessing and spiritual impact we end up making depends on our willingness to walk through the door that's currently open. So what door is open in front of you that you haven't walked through yet? One open door leads to another. Here's principle number two. Open doors come with opposition. Open doors come with opposition. In verse eight, Jesus said, behold, I've opened you a door. And then what does he start talking about in verse nine? The synagogue of Satan. He starts talking about all the people that had opposed them and would continue to oppose them. You see, when Jesus opens a door, opposition quickly follows. The apostle Paul expressed the same thing in 1 Corinthians 16, eight, nine. He said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective ministry has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And there are many adversaries. Here's what you have to understand. The Bible generally and Revelation specifically are set in the context of cosmic conflict. Truth versus lies, light versus darkness, good versus evil, Jesus versus Satan. Satan can't close a door that Jesus has opened so he tries to stop you from walking through it. Because if the door's open, but you don't walk through it, it makes no difference. If you're gonna live your life for comfort and convenience and ease, Satan will leave you alone because you're not dangerous to him. But the minute you get in the game and the minute you start pushing back and the minute you start advancing the kingdom of God, get ready because you're dangerous to hell. And so all hell is gonna break loose. I mean, you start trying to lead your family spiritually, your kids will probably rebel, right? You, you get serious about honoring the Lord with your finances and you're going to have to make some tough budget adjustments. You decide to be public with your faith at work and just get ready to be labeled overly religious. When you walk through an open door, opposition comes with it. Every day, we make a choice between two things, comfort and Impact. You can have comfort or you can have impact, but you can't have both. And our cumulative choices between comfort and impact determine our spiritual legacy. Open doors require sacrifice to walk through them. Are you willing to sacrifice? This church is here today because a group of people chose kingdom impact over comfort. I mean, the first group was your launch team, right? About a hundred people that said, hey, we're going to do the hard work of trying to start a new gospel church for Winston-Salem. A couple of years later, you needed to raise several hundred thousand dollars to to move into the warehouses. And a group of people through the Deep and Wide Initiative came together and said, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to give, we're going to believe, we're going to raise this money. A few years later, you came together and said, we need to to build a new facility to be a home and hub of ministry here in Winston. And so you raised several million dollars to build this facility. The, The past of your church is defined by people choosing sacrifice over comfort. Praise God for that here's the question. What will the future of your church be defined by? Can I have an honest moment with you? You're in a vulnerable position as a church because you're very successful. And historically speaking, God's people have been the least faithful when they're the most successful. Do you know who the worst churches in Revelation are? The ones that have the most worldly power the ones that have the most worldly influence, the ones that have the most worldly wealth. They're the least spiritually healthy of all the churches in the book of Revelation. See, this is actually not the first time I've been to Two Cities Church. The first time I was at Two Cities Church was seven years ago when you were worshiping at Goler AME Zion Church. Anybody that was at Goler, anybody out there? Okay, a couple of us. All right, I came, I listened to Pastor Kyle preach. I went down into the basement of Goler. You remember the basement of Goler? and I saw where the volunteers met. I've also been to your volunteer headquarters here. Let me tell you, the basement of Goler and that volunteer headquarters are very different, guys. They're very different. You see, at Goler, you had very little that impressed the world, but you had a whole lot that pleased God. Dependent prayer, all in commitment, risky faith. Is that what will characterize you into the future? What a tragedy it would be if you had less spiritual power in this incredible facility than you did when you were meeting in the evenings of a rented facility. How do you ensure that you continue to have spiritual power in this beautiful place? Choose sacrifice over comfort. Choose the open door of kingdom impact over the easy step of comfort in your life. One open door leads to another. Open doors come with opposition. Here's number three. Your open door is personal. Your open door is personal. Jesus gave this open door to the church in Philadelphia, not to the church in Sardis, not to the church in Ephesus. Every open door is personal. You see this with the apostles. The apostle Peter was called to reach the Jews. That was his door. The apostle Paul was called to reach the Gentiles. That was his door. Paul made the same point in Colossians 4:17. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Every open door is personal. You see, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign over all things. Do you know what that means at the practical street level? It means that your life is not random. Your life is appointed. God has situated you. He situated your family of origin and your hometown. He situated your ethnicity and your culture. He situated your upbringing and education, your hobbies, your interests, your career and neighborhood. Why? Because he has prepared good works for you to walk in. He has prepared open doors for you to go through. Again, not me, not Pastor Kyle, not the staff, not the church generally, you. You. There are things God wants to do in your neighborhood that are not going to get done if you don't do it. There are things that God wants to do in your dorm that are not going to get done if you don't do it. Don't comfort yourself with the idea that someone else will come along and do it. They won't. They're not their good works. They're yours. Feel the kingdom responsibility of being a follower of Jesus. Let the kingdom responsibility of being a follower of Jesus infuse every moment of your life with significance. You've never had a mundane day in your life. God has provided divine opportunities every single day for you to be salt and light in this world. He wants to do something great in Winston-Salem for the sake of his glory. And you know who he wants to use? You. Every open door is personal. We're trying to get our kids into puzzles, puzzles, I don't know know why, Uh, you know, trying to be good parents, less screen time, all that stuff. And so we bought a set of puzzles that make the outside of cereal boxes. I'm not sure why again, um, you know, it's like Frosted Flakes and Golden Grahams and Lucky Charms. Honestly, guys, every time we do it, I get so hungry. I do, I'm just like, man, I want a bowl of cereal. Um, And so as we've been teaching our our kids how to puzzle, um, what they're always trying to do is they're always trying to force pieces to fit. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to take a piece that kind of fits and they're trying to like slam it in there and make it fit. But as adults, here's what we know. You can't force a puzzle piece, right? That piece was specially designed to fit in one place. So imagine I I had a box up here, a puzzle up here of, I don't know, 1,200 pieces, and and each one of you had a piece of that puzzle. If we wanted to create that puzzle, what would we have to do? Well, every single one of us would, would have to contribute, right? It would be impossible for us to finish that puzzle unless every single person contributed No one would do the same thing, but everyone would have to do something for that puzzle to be completed. Friends, that's you in the kingdom of God. You are a piece of the gospel puzzle. God has shaped you and designed you and situated you to play a particular role. And if you don't play that role, no one else can. The puzzle is bigger than you, but the puzzle is incomplete without you. There are things that God wants to do in Winston, on Wake's campus, in your family, in this church that only you can do. The question is, are you playing your part? The kingdom of God advances as we're willing to sacrifice and walk through open doors. But if I'm honest, it's hard. It's hard because it requires sacrifice because there is opposition. And some days I just don't feel like doing it. Some days I'm like, can someone else just raise my kids today? Apparently, you guys agree with that statement. (laughs) Right? Some days I'm like, man, can somebody else pursue and cherish and love my wife? Can somebody else preach this sermon? Can somebody else, man, have this conversation with my neighbor? It's too hard. It's too awkward. I'm too uncomfortable. I'm too sinful. I'm too broken. There's too much suffering in my life. I'm just tired. Like you might've walked in here today and you might feel like, Josh, I'm just barely keeping my head above water. Like you're talking about kingdom opportunities and open doors and that's all great, but I'm just barely keeping it together. Friends, that's why we need each other. That's why we need to come into this place and worship because we need to come together and we need to remember what is true. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us that in this world, we will have tribulation, but we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Pause for a minute. If you're a Christian who believes the Bible, what I'm about to say is true and you believe it, you just need to start living that way. Ready? The same God who split the sea, who brought down the walls, who healed the sick, who commanded the storm and who conquered the grave is the same God who is in you and for you. Does anybody care about that? It's amazing. And if you believe the Bible, you believe that's true. But we often live like it's not true. We often live like we're defeated forces when in fact we are conquering victorious forces in the world. Sure, the enemy we face is strong, sure. But the God that we serve is stronger. And the God that we serve has made us an incredible promise. Look back at verse 11. I am coming soon. Amen. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Friends, Jesus is coming back. And his second coming is not going to be like his first coming. He came the first time in humility. He's coming the second time in glory. He came the first time on a colt. He's coming the second time on a war horse. He came the first time to die for sin. He's coming the second time to win a war. And what Jesus is saying is if you hold fast until the end, I will reward you. If, if you are a light for Christ in your school, you may get shamed and jeered at by your friends, but Jesus is going to come and he's going to crown you with glory and honor. If, if you hold on to your convictions in the midst of a relativistic culture, you're gonna face some headwinds. Your circumstances are gonna get shaky. But if you hold fast, Jesus says, I will make you a pillar in the presence of my God. And in that moment, you won't be afraid anymore. And in that moment, you won't be worried anymore. And in that moment, you won't be shaken anymore. If you follow Jesus, you might be excluded from some friend groups. You might be ostracized from your family, but Jesus says, I will give you my name. I will adopt you into my family. And you will be an insider with the group that matters most. You see friends, you get the motivation to give up things on earth when you remember what's been laid up for you in heaven. I told you that every open door is personal and that's why every open door is powerful because you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your simple obedience. About 50 years ago, a 17 year old girl named Noel walked through an open door to minister to her high school friend, Shelley. She prayed for Shelly, they read the Bible together, they went to a Billy Graham crusade. I mean, they had their ups and downs until eventually the Holy Spirit and got a hold of Shelly's life. And she was saved. A few years later, a young professional named Steve walked through an open door to, to minister to his tennis partner, Benton. They built a friendship, and Steve prayed for Benton and invited Benton to an evangelistic concert at his church. And Benton went to that concert and the Holy Spirit got a hold of Benton's life and Benton was saved. Shelley is my mom, and Benton is my dad. They're sitting right down here in the front row. And I came to Christ when I was 13 years old largely because of their influence. And I now have four children. And I now pastor of a church of about 600 people in a a very liberal, progressive, dark college town. And and I'm here speaking to you today. I'll probably speak to 3000 people today. And all of that hung in the balance of simple obedience. You see, Noel didn't know it and Steve didn't know it, but thousands of people hung in the balance of their obedience. Thousands of people might hang in the balance of yours. So, what door do you need to walk through? Maybe you're retired and you need to start mentoring young adults. Maybe you're in college and you're the only Christian in your dorm and so you need to reach your dorm. Maybe you're a dad and it is time to step up and start leading your family spiritually. Maybe you need to do the thing that God has already called you to do. You know what it is. You just haven't done it. It's like today's the day we stop making excuses and we make progress. Maybe you've been hurt and you need to finally forgive. You need to let go of your hurt to the Lord. Maybe you're harboring secret sin. It's killing you and you need to confess it. And today needs to be the day that you walk through the door of confession into the light of forgiveness. Or maybe you're here and you need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior. Friends, I have bad news. The Bible says that if you die apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. But I also have good news. The Bible says that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long it's been, if you will repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your savior and Lord, do you know what God will do? He'll forgive your sin. He'll remove your shame and he'll adopt you into his eternal family. And all of that is possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's possible because of Jesus' perfect life It's possible because of Jesus's atoning death. And it's possible because of Jesus's victorious resurrection. Friends, when Jesus rose from the grave, he kicked open the door of salvation to us. So that if we will repent and we will receive him, we can be forgiven. We're gonna have prayer counselors down the front of the stage. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as savior, do it today. The door is open, but friends, it won't always be. There will be a moment when the door of salvation closes. And as that door is closing, Jesus is in the doorframe saying, come on, come on, come on. I've done everything that needs to be done. There's nothing else you can do. You don't get into God's family through moral improvement. You don't get through your own effort. You don't get in through church attendance. You get in through receiving Jesus Christ. He's inviting you into the door. If you need to do that today, we want to pray with you. If you'd bow your heads with me, I just want to ask you one last time, what is the door that you need to walk through? What is the door that God has opened and it's got your name on it? What is the kingdom opportunity that he wants you to realize? What is the difference that he wants you to make? Lord God, thank you for opening the door of salvation to us in Christ. Lord, would you give us wisdom to see the open doors that are in our lives? Would you give us courage to walk through them? And would you give us faith to believe that no matter what it costs us, it is worth it. We love you, Lord. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.